Hi there, it's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. Good morning, and joining us today is Matthew Doss, partner and chairman of the Windows Marks Transportation Practice Group, president of the International Association of Transportation Regulators, and former chairman of the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission. Glad you could join us once again, Matt. It's my pleasure. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Matt. Great to have you. Same here. With the exception, perhaps, of the immediate aftermath of 9-11, Never have the streets of New York and so many other cities and communities been so empty. Uh, you've been working to keep pe- keep the people involved in transportation informed here, Matt. Give us uh, an update. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, this is, you know, I was commissioner. Like, I was commissioner of TLC literally three weeks before 9-11 happened. So I remember working for the government, and this is very different than that. Um, you know, the loss of life um, could even be greater, unfortunately. Um, the economic damage is something I think that we've probably never seen before. Uh, we don't have an end in sight, which I think is a big part of the problem. Um, this could be combined economically, worse than 9-11, Hurricane Sandy, and the Great Recession combined, um, if this isn't handled right. Um, so the, the transportation industry... Um, relied on some of the things that the doctors and the president and the governor and others are saying um, about this could last for months, this could last until September. And when faced with these decisions, literally, this happened so quickly within the span of 48 hours, um, companies just laid off all of their workers. I mean, it it was horrible. Um, The limousine industry crashed to a halt. The bus industry pretty much stopped. Um, intercity buses and school buses when the schools close. So there's a, a trickle of work available. It's it's mostly um, you know medical related right now. Um, you know uh, tra- transporting patients uh, to dialysis. Um, there are some emergency workers and others that need transport, and there's some random people that are going to and from uh, you know grocery stores or to the doctor. So the local car services and, and a trickle of yellow cabs are out there. But for the most part, everything is ground to a halt. Um, trucking industry is a little bit different. Um, you know, there's a lot of logistics uh, deliveries and a lot of food delivery. So the TNCs and the taxis are doing some of that work. So, but you know, for for the most part, the entire industry um, has come to a halt with no end in sight. And there's a lot of hysteria and despair out there. Um, I feel like I'm not just a lawyer and a former public servant helping people right now. I feel like I'm I'm, I'm a therapist. Uh, there's not much that can be done, but what little that uh, can be done right now to, to ease people's concerns is to is to try to cover the cost to keep people um, having some income through some of the things that Congress has done. Um, you know, the Payroll Protection Act and the CARES Act, as you know, just passed. Um, that should give some relief to people, but we may have to go back, back for a round four potentially. Um, you know, the, the, the payroll costs will be covered and, and workers will be paid. Um, if this program works correctly for the next, you know, four to eight weeks. After that, I don't know what's going to happen. I think Congress needs to go back for sure uh, for possibly a fourth round of stimulus funding. The ground transportation industry did not really get any special uh, considerations or um, um, bailout type of funds whatsoever. I mean, the the payroll protection program Um, And some of the loans that go with that have forgiveness and great provisions. A lot of people have told me, a lot of the clients that we talk to, that it's it's really too good to be true. Because when you look at it, it's like, what do you mean? I'm going to get a loan to cover my costs. It's going to be below 4% and it's going to be forgiven if if it's there to take care of my people who uh, are on payroll. Well, it is is too good to be true um, in a lot of ways. I don't know if we have enough money right now to cover this. I assume that the people on Capitol Hill figured this out. Um, I'm telling clients, look, get in line, get your paperwork together now, um, start talking to your, your banks and put, do it as soon as possible because who knows if the money is going to be there. But I think also um, the aviation industry 
received a significant amount of money. Um, that may trickle down a little bit, I think, to some of the shuttles and some of the providers uh, in certain indirect ways that service them. But there's been nothing specifically for the bus industry, for the taxi, limousine industry. Um, some of these provisions will help independent contractor drivers. Um, you know, some so you're of talking about Uber and Lyft people? Yeah, I mean, the companies themselves, as well as the drivers themselves, all qualify for these programs, uh, depending on what your income level is. So there is help to be had there. But again, it's just a stopgap measure. I mean, we're kicking the can down the road pretty much about eight weeks. And, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty as to what happens after that and where. So if we don't start going back to work by that time, uh, this money is going to run out and I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, most of the calls that we're having, we're, we're, we're giving people advice. Um, we did a webinar, um, you know, a few, like two weeks ago where we, we talked about some of the uh, legal issues people should be aware of, you know, like people were contemplating layoffs. We we're trying to advise people on how do you minimize lawsuits that may come after the recovery, but that's quickly turned around uh, in terms of a triage to handling the SBA loan program um, and, you know, the stimulus money and, and the payroll protection program monies that are going to be made available to the industry, which is up, it's significant. It's up to 10 million per employer, um, up to $100,000 per driver potentially, even if you're a gig worker and, a, and a, um, you know, an independent contractor driver. So there's some good stuff in there for the transportation industry. But again, it's not long-term relief. Um, it doesn't um, account for the loss of business and um, the economic stalling uh, that these companies have had to face. Um, some companies will probably be able to hire back their employees. Others won't. Uh, I know school bus companies, for instance, are struggling to do everything they can to hold on to their workers somehow, providing them on a furlough, keeping their benefits, but laying them off temporarily, letting them apply for unemployment, because they're concerned that Amazon is going to come in and start hiring all the bus drivers, and they're going to lose their good their good drivers. So I think some companies are concerned about that on, on, on the driver side, but for the most part, the office workers uh, are gone. The management teams and all of these uh, companies, whether big or small, are basically there by themselves, uh, and and having you know nervous breakdowns over this. Uh, in addition to the health concerns as to whether their employees or their family are 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 going to get sick. So this is really something that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. After living through nine eleven, working for the government, and thinking I've seen the worst uh, that could happen, and some of the best that people can offer, this is just the beginning of I think a long road and. Um, we've tried to provide um, information in real time um, to transportation providers and uh, government regulators. Um, as soon as it started happening, all the focus now, which is typical for a crisis, is going to be, um, you know, on the public health and safety aspects, right? The governor, the president, uh, the governors around the country are all worrying about keeping people safe, first and foremost. Uh, I'm glad that they're now starting to talk more about uh, curtailing the economic damage, it took literally two weeks to do that. Um, and th that happened after 9-11 too. I mean, really no one was talking about taxi cabs <laughs> um, for weeks. And then all of a sudden the, the, the media started to focus. Um, and you know this from your years of experience, Fred, they start to focus on, you know, public interest stories with different industries and how they've been impacted after the crisis starts subsiding. So we're going to see that I think in the next couple of weeks. And I think a, a spotlight will show that this industry has been devastated beyond repair. Um, unfortunately, I think um, what happens, it's going to be a new world. We can talk about that. Um, I have some ideas about what's going to happen, but um, we've just been trying to give, uh, we've been giving free legal advice to clients and non-clients and people in the industry. We're trying to play a leadership role because there's nobody really out there who's, you know, uh, dealing with the transportation industry uh, alone. Our webinar, we had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people from all over the world. I had people from Finland, from from London, from Australia, listening in. Um, and everybody's curious as to what's happening in New York City now as the epicenter of this thing, unfortunately. Um, and we have real-time news updates every day. Um, we try to go a little bit beyond what the papers are saying and what it means for the industry. And we're just really trying to lend the public hand, a, pub, a helping hand. My team is mostly former government officials, former commissioners, former judges, former uh, you know, uh, agency workers from, from New York City and New York State government. Um, so public service is in our hearts, and um, 
you know, we're not even getting paid for most of the stuff that we do. We're just trying to help people. So, um, yeah, that's what's been going on since uh, in, in our world. Um, Matt, 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 Matt. Very uh, troubling that, times. Matt, that's really great. Um, <clears throat> let, let, me, let me see if I can ask you your opinion. on it's, I seem to sense, and again, it's just from my own perspective, mm-hmm. that the logistics part of the transportation business is working pretty well. Mm-hmm. It seems as if, even though store shelves and grocery stores are, might not have toilet paper, it seems that somehow there's food on the shelves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember, you know, basically around when the wall went down, I, I, I used to travel to, to Moscow and, China, and and so on. There's nothing in stores. I mean, it was, I mean, there was nothing. That's true. It seems as if that piece of it is working I'd hate to say well, but let's use the word well. How do we make sure that that stays well? Because I think as soon as there's not food on the shelves, then this goes from bad to ugly, doesn't it? Or, you know, so, yes, we have a lot of work to do in, in certainly other sectors of, of, of the mobility space. But it seems as if the logistics space is still working well. How do we make sure that what, – what's, what's your view – what's your feeling on that one? Well, I haven't studied, um, you know, the, the supply aspect of the supply and logistics chain. Um, I mean, as long as there's a proper supply, I think, you know, the delivery aspect has been working well. I'd agree with you on that. Uh, also, um, you know, there's no cars in the street to cause delays. Yeah, uh, I mean, stuff is going instantaneously, isn't it? <laughs> trucks are having a field day. Look, I'm still, <laughs> I've still been going into uh, uh, into Manhattan, every, you know, not every day, but most days to my office. And my, my office is located across from Carnegie Hall on uh, 7th, yeah. 7th and 56th. And I've never seen anything quite like it, frankly. I mean, <laughs> going around. The trucks are parking wherever they want. I've seen some people on these rickshaws delivering. Yeah, food. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there aren't that many TNCs or taxis around, but they are delivering. Food. They're delivering, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Marines and Postmates and all these other folks. Right. So I, I agree with you. That's working well. But also the on-time delivery aspect is facilitated by the fact that these people have nothing else to do. So that <laughs> really kind of yeah. become more efficient over, yeah. you know, almost overnight. Yeah, but we have to make sure that that's, that's protected because if that starts going south, then we're in, I mean, we're in real trouble. You know, it's bad that we get, don't get to travel to California. You know, it's bad that, you know, we don't get to go to, to Broadway. Uh, but man, if, if all of a sudden there isn't food, then, you know, and, and I sense that it's in New York, it's that piece of it is still okay. Now, I hope the farmers and all the producers around the world, keep the keep the warehouses stocked and so on and and in fact that Amazon has enough drivers to drive this stuff right um yeah i think they will i think they will um you know i think once we get through this i i don't think it's really going to happen ever again even if we do have another novel virus i don't think we're going to have this level of disarray this is very eerily similar to what happened with 911 You know, um, we weren't prepared for it. We developed contingency plans after the fact. And now with this experience, things will be done more quickly and more in a more orderly way if there is another virus that is like this um, in in any way, shape or form. So I think that's the good news that once we get through this, it's I think it's unlikely that we're ever going to have this again. And there may be some lessons learned. The modes and people's modal choices are going to shift, right? And that's going to change, obviously. Well, uh, yeah, that may change desperately. I mean, transportation's you know. become transformed, and I think the only ridership up is probably the bike shares and city bike. I mean, people are riding their bikes, and uh, the last I checked, those numbers were going up. Uh, so people are getting out and walking and riding bikes. Are they scootering around, or I mean, are scooters or are the scooters still? They, we throw them on the Hudson River and get rid of them. I mean, you know, what the, what's going on there? I've seen. I've gone out for a couple of bike rides. I've seen scooters. I've seen hoverboards, even though they're illegal. I've seen people with all sorts of devices. But um, you know, if you go down to the to um, to the to the sh- to the shore or to the parks, there there are people out and uh, yeah yeah. 
you know, well, it's, you it's, have it's to. Either it's it's good family time, or uh, <laughs> uh, I guess, uh, but it also is raising a lot of issues in, in terms of pr- productivity in the house. I mean, personally, my staff is all working from home. They've never been more efficient. Um, we've been yeah. really efficient, but yeah. you know, when I got my kids coming down and interrupting me in the middle of a call, or um, <laughs> you know, yeah, ready. You know, you know, this that's kind of challenging, yeah. and um, it's amazing to envision what the city would be like if we didn't. I mean, the only other time I've seen this is when we had a, a taxi strike in 1998, and there were literally very few cars on the road at that time, and traffic moved quickly. Um, I often wonder what automated vehicles um, would potentially look like in an environment like this, because um, I, I just looked down Times Square, seeing it empty um, and envisioning how if we did have driverless cars that might be safer in, in a crisis just like this, how the infrastructure could work. Yeah, um, um, it, made me, it made me start thinking about it. Well, Matt, yeah. I was going to ask you, what about all the people who really do need to get to work? The medical people, folks who are working in supermarkets. Most folks in the in the city don't have cars, and they do have to still get from here to there. How is that functioning? Well, they're still they're still taking uh, mass transit. It's not closed down yet. Um, in fact, I think the buses are, fr- are free, if I'm not mistaken. And, and um, people are taking the distancing themselves on the buses. They're getting in in the back of the bus. So there are procedures that have been put into place. For a while, the intercity buses were still running between New Jersey and New York. In fact, um, um, so the companies that really deployed the hand sanitizers and the distancing and, and were marketing themselves as being clean had more business than the other buses. But that soon, you know, ground to a trickle as well. But people are also taking taxis and TNCs or they're just driving. I think, um, you know, I noticed that the first couple of days, um, because I do drive into work, um, I noticed that there were very few cars, but over the weekend I saw that pick up dramatically. I'm trying to get some stats um, from NimTech or wherever else I can get them, but I believe that people are more comfortable driving in their own cars. So um, like parking garages have restricted their hours. I mean, I I went to my parking garage, there's one attendant there, Um, he had a face mask and goggles on. And, and, and gloves, you know, so the parking garages are still open. So I think we may see some people taking their vehicles in because I've broken every record imaginable coming from Brooklyn <laughs> to New York. Going the speed limit, by the way. Uh, it used to take me, I've been on the show talking about how it takes me an hour and a half to get from David to Brooklyn to Midtown Manhattan. I got in in 20 minutes every single day without breaking any. Uh, yeah, I mean it's not that far, and twenty-five miles an hour is pretty darn fast when you, if you can do it. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I think um, what the city has done is great. Um, um, the new T- TLC commissioner um, reached out to me for some advice, and um, frankly, she had all the good ideas on her own. Um, yeah, one of them good. was um, putting in t- together a, a food and package delivery registry for drivers who want to work but don't have the work right now. So that is up and running from what I understand. And people are, uh, you know, delivering packages using t- cabs and uh, TNCs. And um, I, I've been in touch with the regulators all over the world and around the country in Canada. And they're starting to adopt some of these policies as well. Like the regulators, whether it's bus regulators or taxi and TNC regulators, some of them are re- relaxed the rules like every, everybody else has done for all businesses, you know, uh, extending the license renewals, waiving fees, suspending inspections and enforcement, um, whether it's a good or bad things that, that is going on. And some innovative programs like Philadelphia is uh, working on doing something similar to New York, um, you know, up in Saskatoon, uh, Saskatchewan, there's a, a program where they're doing food and package delivery. So I think slowly the regulators are, um, you know, starting to get engaged. Um, and I think part of the problem is why they don't do things as quickly is because, you know, taxi and, and bus and, re- and transportation regulators are a little bit down on the totem pole. Right now, the governors and, and the president and the higher ups are dealing with the crisis. Um, so unless there's an approval process or you're talking to the right person, these minor things, so to, so, so to speak, aren't getting done. But for our industry, these are, this is a big deal. We had a crisis with the insurance because... Some of the insurance companies uh, that that uh, write for buses and for 
limos and taxis were being reasonable. They were deferring payments on their own, giving discounts on the premiums because most of the cars are in the, stuck in a lot. Um, the governor of New York um, and, and Department of Financial Services recently came out with a, you know, a deferment of a couple of months. Um, but just figuring out how you deal with your plates and uh, what you do with your car to minimize liability, getting, you know, what do you have to do with the DMV? Uh, these are things that uh, the small business owners are freaking out over. And it's most people in the mainstream media have no idea this is going on behind the scenes. But these little things that uh, people are worried about, um, the regulators have been trying to solve and fix. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a new world. Yeah, there, there, uh, there are probably some things in, in, the, in the assisting of the mobility for, for the whole medical um, uh, and, and life, life support industry that, that probably could, could use a little flexibility. I, I, the, you know, all the emergency service, mobility services are, are basically uh, at capacity and, and turning down folks. I mean, um, alleviating uh, some of the, some of the regulations there may, may also be helpful. Um, and of course, one has to worry about liability and insurance and all those sorts of things and whether or not, uh, you know, um, a, a gig worker is really uh, capable of, of um, taking you to the hospital or taking you to, uh, to dialysis. But, but that, whole, that whole sector of the economy uh, could use some of the, more of these people to, to really improve the, their operation. And, you know, the operation is going to change. Um, yeah. I mean, right now, some of these companies are sitting around and looking for business opportunities in terms of how they can, um, you know, um, get, you know, be, you know, help their workers stay busy. Some are volunteering their vehicles, others looking for paid work to take people to and from uh, the, the, the Navy ship that's uh, coming to New York today, um, the Javits Center and other places. Um, the accessoride program or the public paratransit programs are going to have to continue. I mean, people still have to go to dialysis. Yeah. Some centers have shut down. I mean, I have family members are going to some centers that are very clean. I mean, there's a, there's a whole new order to transportation. And I, I don't think it's beyond the realm of reason that regulators, when this, this is all over and we start phasing in, going back, there's going to be regulations potentially from FMCSA. Um, and from all of the transportation regulators around the country in, in terms of sanit uh, sanitary conditions, uh, you know, uh, wiping down the vehicle using certain types of products, uh, distancing on the buses, which could ultimately hurt business, you know, if you can't fill every seat. So I, I think there'll be a new normal, um, you know, after a couple of months. But I think the first few months coming back, there's going to be different operations. And I think transportation providers are thinking about this, too. And also what happens when someone's infected on your bus or your vehicle. Um, you need to do deep cleaning like the real estate folks are doing. Um, and I can't tell you, uh, Alan and Fred, how many emails I got in the last week uh, from people who have these cleaning products that want to talk <laughs> to my clients uh, and the regulators, uh, EPA approved products. And I asked them the same question. It's, it, it gets rid, rid of and kills like Lysol, most viruses, but has it been tested for C COVD? Uh, 19. And yeah. the answer is no. I said, well, you better be careful about the claims you're making before the, you know, the, F the FTC hits you with a, a false advertising claim. But there are a lot of products out there. Like yeah. I've seen products with fogging where they actually yeah. fog the vehicle and put a coat. I'm not sure if any of these things work, but I think um, the EPA does have a list of, of these certified products. And I do think that at some point regulators, when we get back to, you know, the first wave of people you know, being transported and then the new normal are going to have sanitary and cleanliness regulations. I mean, we've always had really uh, clean cab um, regulations in New York City. Um, we enforce you do? No, never, never mind. No, that was very uh, unfair. I'm sorry. I'm going to be, I have to behave. <laughs> Go so, ahead. Hey, look, they used to be really worse than they are now, believe me. I mean, there's, there's certain type of materials that you have to use in the back of the cab, um, you, know, you know, to clean up, you know, vomit and other secretions. Uh, I mean, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a system that yeah, we have. No, and yeah, we cite you for violating rules if your vehicle's not clean. But now what does that mean? You know, should you have to wipe it down with Purell wipes uh, every 20 minutes. I mean, these are the things that we're going to be grappling with these issues 
what's happening what's happening in elevators you know that i sort of love <laughs> elevators because of the uh, the uh, similarity you i mean with your elbow you hit them with your elbow i mean do they did they put little step uh, footprints on the elevator as to where you're supposed to stand the kind of well serious i mean you live in a building right what do you i mean you know the the the, the physical distancing <laughs> I don't like social distancing. I like physical <coughs> distancing. But, you know, in an elevator, uh, you know, <laughs> well, I, I, how are you guys dealing with that one? <laughs> well, most of the elevators I've been getting into, frankly, are empty. I because so nobody's coming to work. I mean, what happens when, when you yeah, went to the, the uh, organic section of the grocery store the other day, which is on the second floor, and yeah. there was a lady who got into the elevator with me, and she – she like went into the corner, yeah. You know, and put the like part in between us, yeah. um, and I had a mask on and everything. So um, you know, I, I think uh, in the supermarket, people are standing six feet apart. Yeah. Bus yeah. line. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Go onto the bus or the subway yeah. platform. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in the supermarket, they actually have like yeah, yeah. X's on the floor, right. waiting for in the queue. To yeah, go yeah, to, yeah, yeah. I think what's is what what are you going to do in the subway? Are they going to start having people? How are you going to keep people six feet apart in the subway? I mean, I don't know. I think those regs are going to change, but I think as people gradually start going back, if they do have this test, yeah, um, where people can be certified that they had it and they got over it, um, which I think is a possibility. I think it was mentioned at the t- at task force that there's a pinprick test with the blood that they can tell if you have the antibodies or not. And every Boy, that would be great can't get it like again. So um, hopefully those people can go back to work and um, we'll see how the economy. I mean, I just don't know if there's any work to do. <laughs> Matt, you talk, I mean, no, you talk no, there's work to do, things. Matt. There's there's work to do. <laughs> I mean, if the airports aren't open and, and look, people are going to be reticent about taking mass transit or airlines for a while, just like they were if the 9-11. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it took a while for air travel to come back after 9/11. People just didn't want to fly if they didn't have to. Yeah, I'm I'm concerned oh. that even if we say it's back, it's not going to really be back right away. Yeah. Well, no, what, what people... long term changes in mobility do you, do you think this is might lead to? You said that you didn't think things would ever quite be the same. Well, as much as I think that, I think in the short term they will be the same. I don't think congestion is going to be solved or any groundbreaking policies are going to happen right away. But I do believe that little things will change. Like I, I think what we just discussed, some of the, the distancing, the cleanliness of the vehicles, um, you know, um, I think that will change in the short term. Um, but I, I think this exercise has, it feels like a surreal science fiction movie. I mean, you know, it, I got to pinch myself just like after nine 11, um, like pinch myself. I can't believe this is happening. I think everybody kind of feels that right now. Um, but, um, it gets people thinking, well, what if, you know, um, what if we had automated vehicles with no drivers who could transmit diseases? Um, and we had a system where people get in and out and it's microbially treated and there's ways to keep people safe. Wouldn't that be a better way to get around? I mean, people are going to start thinking about, what the future should look like and make policy decisions based upon what happens during this crisis. Um, I mean, the infrastructure is there for people to take bicycles and to walk. Um, so I think, you know, we may become a more, uh, cities may become a little bit more walkable and uh, sustainable friendly, hopefully, as a result of this. I think people will naturally, uh, if they could wake up a little bit later um, and take the subway, that they might decide they're going to take their bike to work. So I think modal, some slight modal shifts are going to take place in the short term. But I think policymakers must be thinking on the transportation side, what if? Um, when have we seen the streets empty like this? And what could we have on these streets now if we reimagine them? You know, bikes here, automated vehicles there, um, special lanes for special things, places for trucks to park. I think hopefully that when we return to normal, it won't just be normal that we'll actually hopefully think about solving some of the mobility problems that have been plaguing us for years. Is this a real long-term hit when it comes to the concept of ride sharing? um, I I don't think so. I think it's a short-term hit in New York and a couple of other jurisdictions. They've either banned it or they discouraged it. 
which is probably, you know, the right thing to do if you're in a sedan, um, you know, if, you, if you're in close quarters. But, um, you know, I think it was uh, probably a little bit overbearing and, um, you know, to ban it on like bigger vehicles. I mean, you could share and keep your distance in a, in a shuttle van with a few people in it. So um, I, I think once, you know, the virus clears and it settles down, we'll be back to sharing uh, but again, we don't share enough. <laughs> I think yeah. we discussed that yeah. before. Yeah. 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 And it's not a culture of sharing. But, you know, if people feel safe and they're, they're struggling economically, you know, usually when people can't afford to take these vehicles on their own, they will share. Um, and I've seen it already. I mean, there are people before it started getting really, really going south. Um, people didn't want to travel from one borough to another and pay $50 for an Uber or Lyft. So they started using Via or, you know, using the Lyft line or the Uber pool service to save money. Um, and even when people were sick, I mean, I've heard stories of colleagues of mine that were go- going from Brooklyn to Manhattan and, you know, they were getting in with strangers and taking their chances and had their masks on. Um, but I-, I don't think it'll have a long-term impact. It'll be more of a short-term impact. I don't know how you feel, Alan, but. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> It makes ride sharing a real struggle now, but I think we'll we'll, we'll get there. I mean, there, there were some some changes that we learned to accept uh, uh, because of nine eleven. You know, pre nine eleven, I would show up for a flight as they were closing the door, and I'd be running from the from the parking garage, you know, to the gate, open the damn door, and they would, you know. Uh, guess what? <laughs> that O.J. Simpson move went out of fashion very quickly, right? And so on. So we learned a new norm. We're sort of not happy with it. There there are going to be some things that are going to come out of this. The the real the real different thing here is is that you know we're in this social distancing instead of physical distancing. One of the good things that I claimed with respect to nine eleven is that I thought New Yorkers came together. You know, people people smiled to each other on the subway. I mean, it it really brought New York together. Uh, and 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 but this thing is is like ripping us apart uh and 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 so somehow we've got to somehow figure out uh, if we're going to be six feet apart let's at least smile to each other let's at least greet each other let's at least say good morning hello how are you nice to see you and so on i'd love to hug you but can't do that one but uh, uh but you know we, we've got to we've got to get we've got to get to that because if we make this social distancing then, then again, this gets really ugly. Alan, I think you need a face mask with a smiley face on it. Um, <laughs> hey, maybe. Hey, Fred, let's do it. I mean, have you seen him? I haven't seen. Maybe that's what we. Hey, that's what we need to do. That's not a bad. Fred, Fred. Business idea. There. <laughs> we, we own that sucker. The three of us. <laughs> we'll they continue. do have to buy the face mask. Go ahead, Matt. You can buy them with, with artwork on <laughs> them. We'll continue in just a moment, but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. You can get more information at MOTOETF.com. ETFs, I hope you've heard of them. They can be a good way to spread risk while investing in a category of stocks. Uh, What you want to take a look at is a white paper titled The Smart Transportation Revolution at MOTOETF.com. Under the Insights and News tab, you'll get the information that you need to make an informed investment decision. Alan, in the latest edition of the Smart Driving Car newsletter, you include a research brief from the Society of Actuaries on the impact of COVID-19. And they're going to be updating this uh, every 10 days or so at SOA.org. Tell us why it's in the newsletter here. Well, the reason I put it in the newsletter is I think you know one of the one of the tragedies of this of this uh, situation that we're in is a is a lack of good data, and the lack of, of of that lack of good data just means 
bad information and probably bad decisions. And I think one of the things that that the society uh, is trying to do is trying to really look at the uh, the quality of the data and trying to, if the the previous data were bad, then let's forget about them and uh, let's 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 move forward from that with good data and and so on. So I I think that they're the one they're at least one group that's been looking at the gory details of the data. And as I like to say, you know, no artificial intelligence or something like that is going to go out there and fix it. If if you don't have good data underlying what you're doing, uh, you don't know what you don't know. And and the problem is that it's not just noise in the data; it's bias in the data. And the bias is we don't know we don't know which way it's biased to the left, to the right, up, down, blah, da da, and so on. And so it, this is this is really this, this has made this very very challenging. And I just think that uh, they're trying to address this particular issue. And I thought it was worthwhile for for the people um, that we've been talking to to at least be aware of it. And the insurance folks need to have good data to make any money to do what they do. Well, not only, yeah, to be able to price it properly and so on and so forth, which is the fundamental reason why they want to do it. But they're all, they're all for, for worried about forecasting and what the outcome is going to be. And so they are really dependent on good data because, hey, if, if <laughs> there's, you know, garbage in is garbage out. There is no black box that is going to uh, give you um, all the right answers if you have garbage in. Tesla, according to Clean Technica, is updating autopilot uh, to include automatic stopping at red lights and stop signs. I think it's fantastic that they put it in there, but everybody has to realize you still have to pay attention. Okay, you can't rely on this thing because if it doesn't stop and you go and run the red light and you get T-bone, guess what? You die. Okay, so the whole thing is on you. But, you know, to have it in there in case you're maybe not paying attention or something for it to stop and keep you from you running a red light then in fact, it's great. So in a sense, as long as it's not misused, like most things, if they're not misused, they're probably pretty good. This would be a nice thing to have. This is, again, one of these automated systems that basically your get out of jail free card in case you were, you know, somehow not paying attention. Uh, You might be texting. uh, Nobody ever texts in cars. How could I say that? Matt, Matt, what do you think of uh, the the idea of uh, vehicles for hire automatically stopping at stoplights? <laughs> well, that would be something that would be very welcome. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I mean, look, you know, um, a lot of these changes that uh, automation and connected vehicles will bring, um, I think, uh, are going to make things safer on the streets. I, I think also uh, telematics. You know, one of the things before this will happen that um, I was thinking about is how and why we shouldn't have, um, you know, more devices in the vehicles to monitor the driver's behavior. Um, You know, now with all of the uh, one of the biggest problems for monitoring driver behavior and automated vehicles will do that eventually. But right now there are these devices that people have. They have, uh, you know, forward and rear facing uh, cameras. They have black boxes they put in the cars that will trigger events and, and report to supervisors um, what the, the driver's behavior is and whether even they, even though they didn't get involved in a crash, it could have been one. You know, they stopped erratically, they blew a light. These are great products and people um, have been able to get uh, insurance, premium reductions or discounts for them, but it has not become widespread in the for hire industry for one simple reason in my view. Drivers don't want to be watched, and they're independent contractors in theory. So the second you start monitoring a driver's behavior as a, as a taxi or a limousine company that doesn't employ them as employees, you stand to have massive lawsuits against you claiming that their employees entitled to back pay and all sorts of uh, uh, you know remediation. So would AB5 in California and potentially in New York and elsewhere um, and also the Postmates decision that just came down by the New York State Court of Appeals the other day. We are on a road with progressive politics in big cities of 
gig workers and Uber drivers and taxi drivers becoming employees, whether the companies like it or not. The silver lining in that, even though it may involve costs of transportation going up, the silver lining, lining I think, is we will become safer. Because if companies decide now that they want to, uh, they are on the hook with respect to liability, they can get off the hook on liability for a car crash if the driver was an independent contractor, okay? However, they're automatically held responsible if the driver is an employee. And the only companies that really have employees as drivers are the high-end luxury limousine services and some bus companies. So once the industry starts changing over to an employee model, employers are going to protect themselves by putting these devices in. And I think they're going to welcome, Alan and Fred, some of the things that Tesla and others are doing, um, you know, with respect to automation and how that can make things safer. And I think that's the road to safety. If It's, it's the silver lining in, I mean, in, 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 in some of this, um, you know, employee versus independent contractor issues. I mean, the industry is concerned about it. They feel they're going to go out of business if they have to be employees. But the flip side of that, the one silver lining is now you could actually monitor the drivers better, make sure they're safe, um, get your premiums down on the insurance. And we might have a chance of actually realizing Vision Zero if every vehicle had a device in it that would monitor behavior or um, be connected. Um, that's how we make the streets safer. Not not just monitor behavior, but also be there in case uh, the behavior is bad, not allow the driver to get him or herself between the rock and the hard place and, and make sure the car does stop at the red light, does stop at the stop sign, does stop for the pedestrian and all those things. And so, therefore, uh, you know, the, the liability exposure of the company should actually go down and the whole darn thing should be safer. Uh, so so that's that's hopefully where we're going. The only problem, as you mentioned, is the costs are probably going to go up because the driver costs are going to go up. And so, therefore, all of a sudden, oh, my goodness, uh, you know, affordability is really important. There's no doubt that limousines for the one percenters, hell yeah, okay, no problem. They can afford it or they have somebody else pay for it, no problem, okay? But but for the, the other 99 percenters, and and the people that that really need to get cross town, across uh, Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn to uh, uh, to the to Queens and so on. There there isn't good public transportation. These services are really uh, focused on that and and really can can drive some benefits. So you know that's that's the difficulties. I agree with you, Alan, and I, I think I think we don't even have to wait for more. T- the technology is yeah. there. Any, any OEM that's been ma- manufacturing a vehicle within the last few years, the mapping systems um, uh, have already told the vehicle what the speed limit is yeah, and exactly yeah. the location and coordinates yeah. that you are. What is the big deal to have um, in four-hire vehicles and, and taxis um, a, a button that goes off or a ringer? that says you're going above the speed limit to warn them. That's a very easy thing to do. When I was in Dubai. Or to keep you from going there or to keep you from, you know, it'll give you nine, but it won't give you 10. Okay. You know, there's, there's, there's a way that could be done. Uh, When I was in the United Arab Emirates, I mean, every, everyone who went over the speed limit on the vehicle, there was a a loud buzzing sound that the cab drivers uh, experienced and it it reminded them. um, But yeah, that vehicle technology is not, it's it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. It's here. It's here, and and it will come. And as as companies accept the liability, they're going to put an overlay on top of it and say, "Okay, we're now responsible. If you don't behave, we have something in there that will make that will keep you behaving." And and look, use your um, your uh, attributes to do something else rather than misbehave. I mean, what's interesting and that before automated vehicles come where it's very possible the insurance model will end up becoming more of a product's liability model, you know, because, right. you know, is there a design defect? Right, like right, what was right. wrong with the, right. with the vehicle's design? Um, there's going to be an interim phase where the insurance industry is going to have to be disruptive, disrupted and evolved. You know, we're seeing some companies already experiment with real-time premiums, right. um, you know, as we put more of these devices in to monitor driver behavior, I think the whole way we price insurance is going to change dramatically before we get there. And I think we have to. I mean, these policies are antiquated. Um, many of them 
the companies don't even have the choice to make changes to them. You know, the, the New York State and New Jersey insurance policies that you and I signed for our cars, yeah. they're in the regulations. They just yeah. paste what the insurance department tells yeah. them to put in there. So it's so highly regulated that it leaves very little flexibility to change. And that's something that the insurance regulators need to think about as we move forward towards um, as we move forward towards automated and connected vehicles. But, but, but what insurance companies should do is they should say, oh, my goodness, we're going to force you to put these things in there because guess what? It's going to make you safer and therefore, therefore we're going to be able to keep more of the money. And while we're keeping more of the money, maybe we'll pass some of it back to you and we'll share it with you. And in a sense, the whole dynamic to this thing, because, hey, uh, what's an insurance company? They just don't want to hold your money for a while. They'd like to be able to keep it and hold it forever, right? <laughs> and, and so, and so, it's fundamental to insurance. And so, if you put some of these gizmos in there that that basically keep you from going boom, guess what? They get to keep the money. Well, oh my Matt, goodness! Matt, <laughs> Matt, doesn't the doesn't the idea of having all these people become employees, the drivers become employees, doesn't that hasten the day when? They go, go autonomous or at least try to. Tough in New York City, but elsewhere at least. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know what the relationship will be. I think I think the companies themselves, it would be easier for them if they had independent contractors as they make that migration. Um, but it's, it is going to fundamentally change transportation as we know it, I mean, in terms of the pricing, in terms of who survives too. Yeah. Um, some of these companies, these smaller companies, are not going to survive the corona pandemic. I mean, they were on the brink of bankruptcy, many of them, in the black car industry in New York before this happened. Um, and now this may put them over the edge. And number two, look, Uber and Lyft complained so much about the independent contractor employee thing. They're fighting uh, AB5 in California to have a referendum on the ballot to go ask the voters of California whether the gig workers should get benefits and be employees or not. They're fighting a tooth and nail, but ultimately if they lose the battle, which they probably will because of progressive politics in urban centers, they still have the best chance to survive than the little guy. If it's a small company that has like maybe one or two or three vehicles that won't be able to meet those margins and make ends meet. It's, it's, my biggest concern after this is all over, and this is not just the independent contractor issue, Fred, it's also the pandemic and the economic damage, that the, 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 the small are going to be out of business and the big will prevail. I mean, maybe this congressional relief will help the small business stay alive a little bit longer, but ultimately economies of scale and people who have government contracts and who have capital, those are the people that are going to take the business over or gobble up the small companies and we're going to see a resetting of the transportation button. And I'm fearful that there's only going to be a, a few big players. And the small and, the, and the, the medium-sized businesses will be out of business for good because this is they were teetering on bankruptcy to begin with because of the TNCs and, and, and other issues. So, um, you know, I, I think it's kind of an agnostic issue because when you, when you, um, you, know, when you get down to um, it, if you're going to throw the drivers out of the cars when they become automated, it doesn't really matter. But the, as you move towards that, if you're in a certain level of automation where you still need a driver to be in the vehicle, the employee model will help better because, you know, the employees who are drivers can be told what to do. They can be trained. There's no worries that the company should have um, about whether this driver is going to sue me and claim that they're not an independent contractor. It's better for business to have the employees um, you know, and not independent contractors, because while you are taking on the liability as a manufacturer, if you're going to be having uh, employees driving those Waymos, what you are able to do is minimize the risk by controlling them and training them and make sure that you don't, you don't like go into a tizzy because, oh my God, you have to tell somebody that they shouldn't be doing or should be doing something. The law is ridiculous in this area. I mean, you're not allowed to tell drivers that they should have a dress code. How do you run a company? Someone's showing up with a candle. <laughs> I mean, this is these are real issues. You yeah, know? no, of course. I mean, I mean, I've out team for how many years now? Like, and, and the government loves it because the government loves the uncertainty that they can oh, they can come in one day and just audit somebody and put them out of business, and they make so much money off of 
of shutting down businesses that are violating the independent contractor rules. The IRS code is clear. The Department of Labor's regulations are a little loosey-goosey. I mean, it's like a case-by-case -case analysis. Whenever you have that gray area, the government benefits and businesses get hurt. And it, it gives an incentive for businesses to mess around, too. When, you know, the, the accountants and the lawyers are telling you, well, if you go either way, you know, where, which way you think they're going to go? They're going to try to make more money and take their risks. And um, ultimately, you know... I've, I've always claimed that Uber and Lyft, that they were, their expertise is in the ability to herd cats. Okay. <laughs> you know, how the hell do you get, you know, cats to, to go do what you want them to do? You can't. I mean, and the ability to do that because, because you have no control. The idea is if you, if they're employees, then you can begin to, to control them. It makes the whole operational progress process infinitely easier but anyway uh you know what it's better for the driver too because you know it's really not fair that somebody does one thing and they get thrown off the pl i mean the answer is they have a contract and oh okay so you didn't clean your vehicle or you went through a red light or something happened they just get rid of them you know the beauty about having an employee that you can control is that you can retrain them give them a second and a third chance yeah you know, yeah. you don't have that. I mean, they're, they're so scared. The second there's an incident in the press, they just throw the driver off the platform, no questions asked. So um, there's two sides to this equation. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm just most things, two sides to the equation. Fred, what were some of the other things? Well, Alan, in the half-baked section of the newsletter. <laughs> Always half-baked, right? <laughs> you've got a piece from VentureBeat with the headline, Will this crisis help set autonomous AI on the right course? Well, you know, I guess it gets to my pet peeve on this. You know, there isn't any AI. I, you know, forget about it, all right? Uh, 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 the, the thought that this is going to set AI correct, I mean, what I think it, it really does is it just shows how to, if, if you're even trying to do AI, you better have good data in there to, to basically train those darn things in the, in the first place. And when you don't have good data, I mean, you're just, you're out there just hopeless. They, they don't learn by themselves. I think one of the things, you know, that, that, that one of the concepts in AI is something that, that it ends up being called unsupervised AI, unsupervised learning. And I keep saying, I mean, talk about an oxymoron, unsupervised <laughs> learning. I mean, my goodness. If that's what, my, do, that's what this, my kids are doing right now, Alan. <laughs> yeah. And, and guess what? If they're learning... Oh, I don't have a job anymore. I mean, all professors are, why in the hell did we have you in the loop in the first place? Holy hell, all these people are out there. My wife doesn't have a job. I don't have a job. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to need a bread line. But, yeah, I mean, it's like, are you? Are you kidding? I mean, magically it appears. I, what is all this? So anyway, I don't know. You can take a look at it, but it just, you know, it, it's again, a bunch of the hype over all this stuff, as opposed to trying to get to the substance of it all. And darn it, um, you know, that's why I threw it in the half-baked section. <laughs> I wanted to mention, too, our friend uh, Ken Pyle at VODI TV, V-I-O-D-I, has a really well-done interview uh, posted with uh, Locomation on automated trucking and platooning. And that was a really great job, Ken. Yeah, yeah, that was a good thing to, to have in there. And again, uh, it, as we talk briefly here, uh, the logistics industry, it has to operate reasonably well. Okay, now, of course, that's going to change because certainly up to this point in time, it was all to make it as efficient as possible. I think uh, everybody realizes that resilience is really important here, and it's not just um, uh, with respect to climate change or environmental resilience. It's resilience in, in a number of dimensions. And, of course, all these systems have to be resilient. And maybe the, the logistic system as it exists now has some amount of that in there. Because at least uh, for me, and again, I haven't studied it to the depth that I should be studying it, it seems to be working. 
Uh, I'm holding my breath on, on that one, but it seems to be working. And we have to make sure that if we see that thing starting to shake a little bit, we figure out how to, how to get it back and, and, and stability in here to make sure it doesn't, it doesn't collapse. Because again, if, if the grocery stores are empty, uh, we kind of know what's going to happen next. And, and that is just not pretty. Absolutely. You know, and you use the word resilient, uh, Alan, and uh, the fourth annual Smart Driving Car Summit comes to mind. You're going to be <laughs> yeah. resilient and bringing that back. We're going to be resilient, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not, we're not looking. I'm looking to, the, uh, to our fall break uh, as a time to do it at Princeton as a possibility. I can imagine that the third week in October, everybody's looking at doing all the things that they're postponing are all going to be on the third week of October because finally we will be set free and, and able to, 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 to do all the things that, 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 that we failed to do up to that point in time. But that's basically where we're looking. We, I mean, it's surprising to me how well Zoom and some of these other uh, distancing uh, 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 software packages have worked and how, you know, we've gone through this interview. I did see a couple of times in which I got a message up here that maybe my internet was uh, about to break and so on. But, <laughs> but somehow, I don't know how we're getting the capacity to do all this. While we've been sitting here doing the podcast, uh, my wife is on, in another room basically uh, doing, uh, she's, she's the, uh, um, uh, she's the dean of students at, at, at a, um, at a private school here in Princeton. She's basically doing her duties and, and teaching uh, on that. And our daughter is is in another room, distance learning. And, and geez, there are really only three of us here. Other people have, you know, three, five kids that are maybe simultaneously trying to learn. I, I don't know how they're doing, but apparently the system isn't, hasn't, hasn't just completely collapsed there is there's a lot of bandwidth in that pipe apparently and we've 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 done somewhat of a marvelous job putting together the capabilities to even have us give us an opportunity to do this so uh, i don't know although it'd be a whole hell of a lot better if we were all together and in a big you know group hug or something like that but that's not going to happen for a while. Not for a while. And uh, let's hope for the fall with the, with the uh, summit. And we'll, we'll ask Dr. Fauci's permission for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, yeah, I, we'll see what happens. I think what's important is everybody uh, stay safe, um, stay healthy. Um, and uh, let's get through this and let's um, let's. Um, Let's be as resilient ourselves as we possibly can. And, and uh, Matt, keep a nice smile on your face and, the, and everybody else's face. Let's, let's at least, uh, when you see someone greater than six feet away, at least say hello, say hi, how you doing, smile. And, uh, and maybe we can, you know, we'll get through this. Uh, we will get through this, okay? Um, but um, that's what we need. And Matt, uh, we really want to take the time to thank you for, for being with us today. Uh, Windows Marks Transportation Practice Group. Uh, where should folks go online uh, for more info about what you're doing, Matt? Well, uh, our, um, our website is uh, Windows Marks, W-I-N-D-E-L-S, Marks, M-A-R-X, like call Marks, no relation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're very much a capitalistic firm, but in the last couple of weeks, I kind of feel like I am a bit of a socialist giving away. Oh, it's not bad to be a socialist. I mean, we should be looking for public good on this, you know. The Absolutely. first socialistic law firm that's out there. If, uh, seriously, if anybody has a transportation business or anybody has any questions, we have a hotline that you can call where we're giving out free legal advice on how to apply for the grants. That's 212-237-1106. Or you can email me at mdaus at windelsmarks.com. I'm happy to help. Um, and like Alan said, uh, we will get through it. I, I agree with you, Alan. It's just a matter of time and we will be resilient. We will recover. It'll be new. It'll be different, but we just have to hang in there and uh, 
you know, and, and, and keep our spirits up and most importantly, stay safe and healthy um, and be and care about other people and smile more and say hello to people and, um, <laughs> you know, and be nice to one another. Yeah. And I hope that we can start hugging each other at some point after October. <laughs> you know, I don't know what this does for the dating scene. I'm not really sure. Ooh, Jesus, I mean, wow, you know, whoa. God knows. Not, God not knows. much speed dating going on today, right? I don't think so. I mean, whoa. <laughs> I don't know. This may be the extent. This is maybe, maybe Zoom dates, potentially. It's Zoom dates. Oh, geez. <laughs> Whatever. Netflix, anyway. Netflix together. Okay. <laughs> Matt, thank you again, and we want to thank our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO, and more information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever you turn for podcasts. You can ask your smart speaker to play us. Now you can find us on YouTube, too. YouTube. (laughs) You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you so much for listening, and stay safe. And thank you, Matt. Thank you, you, Fred.